James chapter 1. This morning we're looking at verses 19, 19 through verse 21. That's James, not Colossians. Listen now to the reading of God's holy word. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this His holy word. O gracious God in heaven, we do praise You and thank You for Your Word. We thank You for its truth, that it is our only infallible rule for faith and life. And Father, as we come to this particular passage this morning, we do pray that You would open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears, that we might hear and listen the truth of Your Word. And we pray, O Lord, that as your word goes forth in the power of the Spirit, that it truly would find within each of our hearts that rich and fertile soil, which would truly bring about great and abundant fruit, that righteous fruit for your glory and honor and praise. We ask now for your blessing upon your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, so far in his letter, James has been focused on encouraging those who are enduring various kinds of trials and temptations. He's given insights to understand the the nature of those trials. He's shown them how God can even use trials uh, for their own good and His glory. And also he's shown how they might be strengthened to even endure through these difficult times. On our passage this morning, James continues to really have this kind of whole mindset in the background, but now he begins to shift an emphasis on the importance of the Word of God. Because in the midst of trials... Especially in the heat of the moment when it's uh, the, the intensity of, of trials and suffering and persecutions are uh, at its greatest height. That's when it's easy to lose sight of God's word. To lose sight of its truth, to lose sight of its wisdom and its promises. Because emotions, during those times, emotions run high. And the thoughts of the mind are are cluttered and scattered and speech becomes rash and explosive and the heart, mind, and the ears are often closed to any counsel, advice, or encouragement. And even the most well-grounded person, that is, someone who is well-grounded in God's Word, even the most well-grounded person may be tossed into this kind of panic in the midst of these kind of difficult times. But because they are well-grounded, they're usually able to, after a short time, regain course and press on ahead. But for those who aren't so well-grounded, 
Well, then the panic can last for quite some time and leave behind it a wake of destruction that often will affect our spouses, our children, our parents, and even the relationships in the church. And so James' purpose here is to show that a continual hearing and receiving of the Word of God is necessary to help keep us kind of on an even keel so that even when we're faced with trials, we might draw closer and closer to that perfect image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so James begins here in verse 19 saying, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And the first thing that we want to consider here is that these three commands apply to everyone. That is, they apply to all who would be included as beloved brethren. James is charging them to be mindful, really, of the logical inclusion of what he has just stated just before this. That if they've been truly born of God, or as he said in verse 18, that those brought forth by the word of truth, that this is how you then ought to live. Right? This becomes a key theme then in the rest of, of James' letter. If you're brought forth by God, if you're born again in Him, in Christ, well then you ought to strive to live a godly life that is distinct from the way the rest of the world lives. And you should know this. You should know this because the Holy Spirit, working through the word that you've heard and have received reveals it to you. But, as we often know, what you should know, and what you may actually know, and whether you're applying that knowledge in your lives, is unfortunately not always the same. And so indeed there's often a gap between what we should know and and what we actually do know and understand about how to live lives that glorify God. And then there's even a further, often a further gap between having that knowledge and then how consistently we apply that knowledge through wisdom in the actual day-to-day living of our lives. And of course this gap only gets worse when in the midst of trying and, and difficult times. Remember, those to whom James is writing, they had fled persecution and they sought refuge in these uh, distant places across the, the Mediterranean region. But troubles continued in their new homes. And in the midst of all the turmoil and confusion, there appears to have been an inconsistency between what they should know and how they were actually living. And so James here reminds them of three basic principles to help them to refocus. And the first of these is that, is that they must be swift to hear or, or swift to listen. Listening, of course, is a skill uh, that takes effort to, uh, to develop effectively. And it's far too easy to, uh, to listen in one ear and then have the information pass right on out to, through the other ear without it latching on to anything in between. And this happens often because we're so easily distracted. Right? Where we're listening to someone in a conversation and we're, we're distracted. 
Maybe it's because of the noise and the activity in our surroundings. Or maybe there's uh, various forms of media and and electronic gadgets that we can't seem to live without and that distract us. Or perhaps it's even concerns and burdens that we're carrying around in our hearts and our minds that, that distract our thinking, that we can't focus and we're not really listening to what someone is telling us. Indeed, there's so much vying for our attention that we seldom take time to develop good, attentive listening skills. And yet, such skills are critical for sustaining strong, healthy relationships, which then, of course, might explain why uh, the rarity of such healthy relationships today. And to be a good listener actually requires that you focus your attention on someone else for a while rather than yourself. So that you can then uh, gain an understanding of what they're trying to communicate. It takes uh, patience to be able to uh, listen carefully and process the information, realizing that though it may not really not be of any interest to you, well, it certainly is of interest to the one who is speaking with you. And so being quick to listen then actually demonstrates respect and is an, even in a way that uh, to show our love for others. Right? And respect and love are certainly characteristics that we're called to cultivate in our lives in Christ. That we can love someone by actually taking the time to diligently and carefully listen to them. But James isn't just concerned with, the, with his readers developing good listening skills to improve their interpersonal relationships. I mean, that's important and certainly necessary. But based on what he said previously in verse 18, when he mentioned the word of truth that were uh, begotten or brought forth by the word of the truth, and then he says in verse 21, he speaks of the word implanted, and then in verse 22, he begins to emphasize the fact that we're called to be doers of the word and not just hearers. Well, it's clear that James is chiefly concerned here with the hearing of God's word. They should be swift to hear. We should be swift to hear the word of God. First taught, of course, uh, to them and now is actually being communicated to them even through this very letter. They must always be ready and willing to hear what God will say to them, even as we just sang from Psalm 85. Listen to what God will say. Think about Eli and Samuel, young Samuel. Remember, Samuel was entrusted to the the care of the high priest, Eli, uh, by having been, been dedicated by his mother, and uh, he kept waking up in the middle of the night hearing this voice. And he kept thinking it was Eli calling him. And so Samuel would run in and wake Eli up. Hey, what do you, what do you want? And Eli didn't say, well, I didn't call you. Well, eventually Eli realized that the Lord was looking to speak to Samuel. And he gave Samuel these instructions that when you hear that voice again, simply respond, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Well, friends, the same is true for us. Again, as we gather together for worship, 
And we hear the, the reading and the proclamation and the singing of the Word of God as we even uh, spend time uh, studying and reading the Word of God uh, on our own. We should always be mindful that the Lord calls us. That this is the way the Lord speaks to us through His Spirit, is through His Word. And that we should also, like Samuel, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. But again, we know that distractions of all sorts are ready to prevent us from listening and intently to God's Word. Whether we're hearing it read, sung, and proclaimed in the worship of God, or when we're reading and studying it on our own, we can become distracted by, by wandering thoughts, by pressing concerns on our minds, by the, the rings and dings of social media, or, or just the din of surrounding activity. We have to truly work at focusing our attention to glean from God's truth. But we're also mindful that there are even distractions that will keep us from hearing the word of God at all. Even, you know, there's one thing to be distracted when you're actually trying to listen. But there's also distractions that come that, that prevent us from listening at all. And we get involved in other activities and work and recreation and games so that we don't ever spend the time reading the word of God or going to worship. Now such distractions persist well, then most certainly we won't be well grounded in the Word. And so when those trials of various sorts come upon us, either from without or within, well, we will then be easily tossed and battered by them because we will not be grounded in God's Word. So it's critical then that we're swift to hear and listen to the Word of God. But the second command <clears throat> really goes hand in hand with the first. We must be slow to speak. Now, if you don't listen and pay attention to what someone is saying, if you're having a conversation, right, and you're, you're not really listening to what they're saying, well, then when you speak in response to something they say, you you're, could possibly speak in ignorance. You'll speak with little or no understanding. And you may even say something that has already been said, or worse, something... That's totally irrelevant to the conversation that clearly reveals that you really weren't listening to them at all. Now, you might assume you know what's been said, and, but then you might jump to the wrong conclusion in your words. You may, even in ignorance, say something that's hurtful. And you can do this even when you're trying to be sincere because you really haven't listened carefully enough. And so we should be slow to speak. Now, being slow to speak doesn't mean you take a vow of silence and never say anything. No, not at all. It simply means that you should be thoughtful and that you should exercise wisdom before you speak. Wisdom so that you know when to speak. So that you know what to say. And so that you even know the appropriate manner in which you should say it. And so this is a warning not to be hasty in your words, not to rudely uh, interrupt others, and not to inflict harm on others with our words. Now in chapter 3, James will warn at length about the dangers of the tongue and our need to control the tongue. And our, uh, but here he briefly introduces, kind of in an introductory way, that same idea. But controlling our tongues... 
and being mindful of what we speak and how we speak it, well, that's hard work. Right? It takes great discipline to, to restrain the impulse to say something quickly and to evaluate it in light of God's Word and ask ourselves, is what I'm about to say something that's honoring to the Lord? Is what, about I, is what I'm about to say, is it actually going to be helpful to someone or is it intended to be harmful? Is what I'm going to say, does it really need to be said at all? Now we could even quickly go over these questions or similar questions in our minds before we speak, we would actually save ourselves much grief and embarrassment as well as as spare others from harm that isn't so easily undone. Such restraint, of course, we know is lacking in a culture that's driven by sound bites and social media. Right? People are too quick to publish to the world their thoughts or respond with a, with a witty comment or a tweet that ends up making them ultimately look foolish and ignorant, or even at the very least creating a very awkward situations and, and even unintentionally or even intentionally tearing someone down and, and bringing harm to them. And so we should be slow to speak. But being slow to speak applies even if our intent and desire is most sincere, right? As we often want to say something comforting to someone who may be grieving or going through a difficult time. Right? We see someone hurting and, and they're in pain. We often feel compelled to say something. Even if it's just to offer hope or, or comfort from God's Word. But if we don't stop to think about the timing and the appropriateness of such a comment, even if it's true, even if it's insightful, well, it can come across as insensitive and unhelpful. A few years ago, I read an article about some of the stupid things that, that well-meaning people say to those who are in the midst of deep grief. And the writer concluded, really, basically, that it, it's better not to say anything at all than to speak in ignorance and say something that not only doesn't bring comfort, but actually hurts or even misleading. Remember, for seven days and seven nights, Job's friends sat in silence and they grieved with him and and they brought him through that time just, just being with him in his grief, they brought great comfort to him. But after the seven days, they began to open their mouths. And suddenly all the comfort disappeared. And so James here is warning, don't be found the fool. Don't be found the one who is uh, making hurtful comments, whether intentionally or unintentionally. But be slow to speak. Solomon declares in in Proverbs 10, verse 19, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is wise. And so we must restrain our lips. Well, the third command further flows from the first and second, and that is that we must be slow to wrath. So consider the connection in, in this way. 
you're at a large family gathering, for example, and, and someone makes a, a barely audible comment to themselves about the food or, or the decor, and someone distracted by another conversation or engaged in another activity overhears or just partially hears what's been said, and then they jump to conclusions about it, and they make a more public comment that appears to everyone else out of the blue. Right, a criticism of the, the original speak, the person. And suddenly then there's confusion. There's confusion about what's going on, about what's been said, and accusations then start to fly, and the whole event explodes into this a raging, a chaotic disaster. And it all started with a failure to listen, with a failure to, uh, uh, or with a failure to be slow to speak, and with a failure to be slow to wrath. I don't know if you maybe haven't been a part of any family functions like that, but I have. And, you know, it's, it's wild. But this is just an example of how all these three things that James mentions here, being uh, quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to wrath, how they're all connected. Being slow to wrath means that we ought to be patient and long-suffering toward one another. And we should be rich in grace and mercy, always ready to give someone, especially if it's a brother or sister in Christ, we should be uh, ready to give them the benefit of the doubt. To bear with their shortcomings as we would want them to bear with ours. It means that we should work at keeping our feelings and our emotions in check. But I don't want you to misunderstand Being slow to wrath doesn't mean that we ignore our emotions. It doesn't mean that we simply stuff our feelings. And it doesn't mean that we never get angry. No, because there are times when a righteous anger is appropriate. There are times when we need to express our emotions. But we must do so in a way that is tempered and controlled so that it doesn't lead us into sin. And of course, this is the warning that the Apostle Paul gives in Ephesians 4, saying, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devils. Notice Paul uh, quoting from Psalm, uh, I believe, 37 here that we'll sing later. Uh, be angry. You can be angry, but just don't be angry and then sin in your anger. We're going to be angry but we don't want our anger to lead to sin. But when we let our emotions run free and our anger rage on, we're actually giving Satan a foothold in our lives. And of course, the end result is always destruction. Or as James goes on to say here in verse 20, that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It's not producing the righteousness of God because it's bringing destruction. As we see, the righteousness of God is what we actually want to produce, not destruction. Now, someone who claims to be short-fused or quick-tempered is simply someone who is ruled by unstable emotions. Right? They exercise no restraint or control, and many will even try to make excuses for their sinful demeanor. Right? They'll blame their genetics, they blame their family, they blame their circumstances, or even their cultural or ethnic background. 
as if all redheads or Irishmen are easily provoked to rage and anger. It's simply not true. But this is foolish. Proverbs 14.29 tells us, He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. Anybody can be one who exalts folly if they're impulsive. Well, this brings us back to the beginning because it all starts with how well we listen to God's Word. If we don't listen well, we end up speaking foolishly. And when we speak foolishly, tempers quickly flare. And wrath is like a consuming fire. It's a consuming fire not only destroying our relationships and our marriage and our family and workplaces, even in the church, but it eventually consumes and destroys the one who is angry. And when you add to all this the fuel from a particular difficult or trying time, well, it then becomes easy to see how quickly people can get crushed under their weight of trials. And how even how Christians can be badly beaten and bruised when a bad situation is made much worse because they didn't pay attention and hear God's Word. But... The word must not only be heard, it must also be received in our hearts. Where the Spirit of God uses it in our lives to change and transform us. And so in verse 21, James says here, Receive with meekness the implanted word. Now this verse may seem a little confusing. If the word is already implanted... Well, how can we receive it? Don't we already have it? Well, some have erroneously understood this to mean that the Word is already inherent in us. That is, it's like a seed of goodness in us that just needs to be awakened and stirred by our cooperating faith in the hearing of God's Word. But of course, we know and understand from the clear testimony of Scripture that we're born in sin and that we're naturally dead in sin and transgression with no good dwelling in us. And so implanted here cannot mean inherent. Well, if it doesn't mean inherent, what does it mean? Well, remember that James is speaking to believers, to beloved brethren, who have already heard the gospel and have already believed it, and the truth of the gospel has now, by God's grace, been implanted in them. So it's not something that they had before. It's now been implanted when they first heard the gospel. And believed. And so James here is not referring to the. uh, James, at this point, right, in uh, verse 21, he's not referring to that time when they first heard. He knows they've already heard and they've already believed because he's calling them beloved brethren. But now he's talking about and reminding them that in order to grow in their faith, They must continually hear and receive the truth, the instruction, and the encouragement and admonishment that the Word of God brings. And so it's already been implanted when they first heard and believed the gospel, but they need to continue to hear 
and receive that word that has been implanted in order that they might grow and flourish. And so that when times of trial and difficulty do come, well, that implanted word will be like a tree that's firmly planted by the streams of water, and though it's beaten and battered by the rough storms, it remains planted and doesn't move, but in fact continues to flourish and bear great fruit. Now this may remind us of the parable of the sower. In fact, it's possible here that James kind of has this parable of the sower in the, in the background of his mind here. Remember in that parable that the seeds were scattered on four different soils. Those on the hard path are immediately snatched away by the birds, representing Satan snatching away the truth from the, uh, those whose hearts are hard to the truth. And then other seed is sown among the rocks and the thorns and weeds. But of those, uh, both of these, they sprout up quickly and they show signs of promising life. And yet because of the scorching heat of trials and, and the cares and concerns of the world, these respectively wither away because they were not firmly rooted and then they become choked out by those cares and concerns of the world. It's only the seed sown in the good soil that prospers and flourishes. It's been firmly implanted. It's been watered by the Spirit. It's been tended and nurtured by the Word of Truth. And it grows and it flourishes, bringing about great fruit for the glory of God. And this even in the midst of the heat and storms of trials. The seed of the Gospel, already implanted in us, continues to come to us as we feed on a regular faithful diet of God's Word. As we continually hear the Gospel and receive it, what's been given to us already continues to grow. And as it does, we become well-grounded and are in a much better position to weather the storms of trials that we may face in this life. But James is careful to emphasize that this receiving must be done with meekness or humility. And this parallels the teachable spirit of the one who is swift to listen and slow to speak. Right? We receive the word of God with great humility. No presumption, no pride, no arrogance, no I've heard it all before, or, or there's nothing new for me to learn. None of this. But we receive the word with a gentle and teachable spirit ready to learn, ready to listen, ready to grow and be nurtured through the work of the Spirit, applying His Word. Receiving the Word with meekness also means that we receive its truth and then in faith we submit ourselves to it. We humbly submit ourselves to it, allowing the Spirit to lead us and guide us, even to use that Word to control our tongue and our anger and respond to others with gentleness, grace, and mercy. As we hear and receive God's Word, we humbly seek to live by it and do it. And this is what James will go on to emphasize in, in the next section that we'll consider next time. But we need to note here two key purposes or goals that James gives for this hearing and receiving of God's word. And the first is the achievement or production of the righteousness of God in verse 20. Now we already noted that 
that wrath and anger will not get you the righteousness of God. Anger consumes and destroys. It accomplishes the the very opposite of the righteousness of God. So if not anger, then then what's going to get us there? Well, it might help if we first understood what is meant here by the righteousness of God. By righteousness, James is speaking of becoming more like God in holiness and truth. Not that we actually become God or attain the infinite perfection and holiness that God alone possesses, but it's as we've considered before, becoming more and more like Christ. And achieving and producing the God-pleasing righteousness that Christ has already perfectly attained. As Jesus declared in Matthew 6, we're to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That is, we're to, to strive to glorify Him by serving Him and pleasing Him in and throughout our lives. We're to seek God's holiness in our lives. You may wonder, but don't we already have this in Christ? Aren't we already set apart as holy and righteous in Him? Well, indeed we are. Right? Paul declares this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And we're righteous now, because we're wrapped securely in the perfect righteous robes of the Lord Jesus Christ. But this refers to God's declaration of righteousness, that is, our justification. And I think we need to understand this point clearly, because uh, especially uh, in today where there's uh, distorted views of justification coming out by those who are proponents of the federal vision, and they they distort uh, James' words here, and they misunderstand and misapply them. Well, James is not talking, Paul is, in 2 Corinthians 5 is talking about justification. But James here in this passage is referring to our sanctification. Right? Remember, he already knows that they are beloved brethren. They're already believers. They've already been saved in Christ Jesus. Throughout his letter, he's called them these beloved brethren. The beloved brethren who doubt at times. The beloved brethren who struggle with uh, these things of anger and and, uh, hasty speech. And not always being good listeners. They're, They're not perfect. But they are beloved brethren. They're already believers. So James is referring to sanctification, that ongoing process by God's grace where we become more and more holy and righteous. And this sanctification isn't accomplished through quickly spoken thoughtless words or all-consuming anger and a hot temper. No, sanctification occurs in verse 21 when we lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. James uses some graphic language here and, and basically says that we're to take off our dirty clothes... And set aside the filthy rags that we're wearing that have been stained by our sinful deeds and our sinful words and our sinful outbursts of anger. To get rid of them, put them off. And though James doesn't tell us as Paul does when he uses kind of this similar imagery in Romans 13, saying that we to uh, put the wickedness aside and to put on Christ, well the same thing is certainly implied here as James has called us to be swift to listen. 
to the Word of God and to receive it with all meekness so that the Spirit can use it in our hearts and lives to bring about this great work of sanctification. And so though he doesn't talk about putting on, well, he does talk about uh, what we're to put on, being uh, quick to listen and slow to speak and uh, slow to wrath. So we put aside these filthy clothes and we're trying to put on these righteous ones that Christ has set before us. And continual hearing, and that, so that's the, the process of sanctification, right? Becoming more and more holy. And we've talked about that before. It's that daily war and that battle within. That we want to be more and more like Christ. And this comes, the sanctification comes by the continual hearing and receiving of the Word of God. Well, this continual hearing and receiving has another purpose and goal, and that is our salvation. As James notes in verse 21, Receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. But again, we may wonder, well, what salvation is this? Aren't we already saved when we believe the Gospel? Well, indeed we are. Initially, we hear and receive the gospel by God's grace, and our salvation is firm and secure in Christ Jesus. But then, as we've seen, we continue to hear and receive the truth of God's word throughout our lives, that we might grow in grace and knowledge of God's truth, pursuing sanctification so that we might become more and more like Christ, and that as we do that, it confirms our salvation. It gives us assurance. But one day, we look forward with great anticipation when our salvation will be realized in all its fullness and perfection. When we'll stand face to face with our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. All angerness, bitterness, and rage will then be far removed from us. All trials and temptations will be done never to cause us pain and suffering again. Our sanctification will be complete Our salvation will be complete and perfected because we'll be truly holy in Christ Jesus. And beloved of God, this all comes about from hearing and receiving the gospel. From hearing and receiving the good news about what Jesus Christ has done for you. That he who knew no sin has become sin for you, suffering and dying on the cross because of your sin. But we know that death could not hold him. And that by the power of God, he rose from the dead on the third day, securing your salvation and making it possible that you might become the righteousness of God in him. Beloved of God, truly be swift to listen, slow to speak, slow to wrath, And in all meekness receive this glorious gospel which has been implanted in you and continues to be uh, given to you. Receive it that you might grow and flourish to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. O gracious God and Heavenly Father, we rejoice and give thanks for your word for this challenge to us. And we know, Lord, that again, as we are faced with many assaults and trials and temptations, 
things that come upon us in our lives and even the distractions of our own sin, that we can often be poor listeners of Your Word. And we don't quite always hear what You're speaking to us and how You have called us to live. And then we respond to others then in ways that are uh, destructive and we can uh, have these angry outbursts and and be quick to uh, be offended. All because we have not carefully listened to Your Word. And so we pray, Father, that we would not only listen, but that we would receive it. And that we need Your Word, not only as we initially come to to faith and salvation in Christ, when we hear the Gospel first proclaimed and we believe it, because Your Spirit has uh, made us new and alive, and renewed our hearts to hear and receive and believe Your Word. But Lord, we need to continue to hear and receive the Gospel. To be reminded of our need of our Savior. To be reminded of what Christ has accomplished for us. The forgiveness of sins that we have in Him. Because we're not yet perfect in this life. To be reminded of how you have called us to live holy and righteous lives. Putting off the old ways of wickedness and sin. And putting on the new ways of living in Christ Jesus. All for your glory and honor and praise. That we might truly become more and more like Christ. Father, that is our deep desire, our chief goal, that we would become more like Christ, that we would then be perfectly able to glorify You, even as Christ perfectly glorified You. And so we just pray that Your Spirit would apply these truths to our hearts, impressing them upon us, drawing us all closer to Yourself, that we might all truly glorify Your name. And we ask for Your blessing in these things. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.